You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Why don't we stand to our feet while we read the gospel and you can hear what it's about today. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Everybody say tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. Everybody say Galilee. Galilee. There. Everybody say there. There There you will see him. In Galilee, you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples what? That he will see them in And behold, Jesus met them. It wasn't Galilee yet. Jesus is never where he says he's going to be, or he's all the places that he says he's going to be in places where he didn't say he was going to be. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. Can I just tell you with you all standing the first word of a resurrected Messiah, the first word of God come back from the dead is hello. As funny as that sounds, please don't underestimate what it means to look at somebody and say hi. It is the first word of God on the other side of eternity. Sometimes all somebody needs to know is that they're seen today. You don't need to know what's going on. Sometimes a hello can penetrate the caverns of loneliness and change it in a moment. Mm. I always suggest read the Bible out loud. I always wish that I read it out loud before I wrote down what I was going to say. I should start doing this. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. Like, yeah, right, Jesus. Where else are you going to pop up and scare us on your way to Galilee? And there you will see me. And this is important. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make hearing your word in this room a delight, and I pray that you would make preaching easy so that you could be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. In the first service, there's somebody that goes to the first service. He's a deacon. I won't say his name, Steve Relia. He's a deacon, and he always teases me. He always teases me and says, are you going to preach another sermon that your daughter wrote for you? My daughter's four. She says a lot of amazing things. In the middle of the last service, I made a joke and nobody laughed, which means there's an issue with them because the joke was definitely funny. And I said, why didn't you laugh? And my daughter yells, because Jesus was crucified. I was like, all right. When the prophet speaks, let's all sit down and listen. So Steve always says to me after church, are you going to preach another Sophia sermon? And so today... I titled my sermon off of something that Sophia said just for Steve. Pastors don't always follow the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we follow our ego just to get back at somebody. Yesterday during the Easter egg hunt, by the way, I forgot to do this in the first service, and I'm really sorry, and I ask for your forgiveness. My wife did an amazing job getting kids to this church to have a good time. 
And I honestly want to say this. Out of Good Friday, Easter egg hunt Saturday, and Easter Sunday, Jesus would have had the best time yesterday with the kids running around, being at his house, and parents needing to yell at their children because they want to stay at church too long. This is a good thing. So thank you, Jacqueline, for, for setting that up. She runs up to me with her bag filled with Easter eggs, and she says, Dad, I'm on the great Easter hunt. I said, it's an Easter egg hunt. Just kidding. It's an Easter egg hunt. And she comes back. She's like, look what I found on the Easter hunt. And right then in there, I realized something. I realized something. I've preached the Gospels for a very long time. Not just when I've been a pastor. I've been reading this since my parents sat me down and threatened me with a beating if I didn't read it. I've been reading these stories for a very long time. Superbook, Flying House, all kind of weird stuff from TBN. I've been watching and hearing and reading this and listening to it for a long time. My image of Easter Sunday is an image of Jesus gloriously coming out of a tomb and everybody who put him there realizing, whoops, We've made a mistake. But when Sophia kept saying, I'm looking forward to the Easter hunt, something started to speak back to me in my spirit because if you read all four Gospels, none of them, zero of them, ever show Jesus coming out of the tomb. None of them. In this Gospel that we have for today, there's an earthquake, and you're expecting to wait for the moment where it says he came out. There was an earthquake. The guards, the ones with the weapons, the guns, the spears, all this stuff, they fall down like dead men. Yes, Jesus is going to come out. An angel comes and sits on the tomb as if to say, death is nothing to me anymore. Jesus is definitely about to come out. And then the angel says, come look and see where he was. Meaning, when the stone was rolled away, guess who was already gone? The stone doesn't roll away so that Jesus can get out because he's trapped in the tomb. The stone rolls away so that you and me could walk into our most fearful places and realize the tomb has turned into a church. What do you mean it turned into a church? There was noise, there was worship. There was a sermon, he is not here. My sermon will be longer than that today, but the, the first sermon after the resurrection was, he's not here, come see where he was. We'd be, we'd be to brunch at that point. And then a mission is given, go and tell. All the things that happen in church happen for the first time in a grave, in a tomb. Why was the stone rolled away? Not so that Jesus could come out, but so that we could be invited in and realize we don't even know what it is we're looking for. The great Easter hunt is exactly right. And why should we listen to young kids when they speak, just as a quick sidebar? Is because right now we live in a world where every piece of information that we're given is being challenged by counter pieces of information and shade is being given on all sides and everyone's being made to believe that they don't know what to believe anymore. Except when somebody is old enough to be able to speak and young enough to not have been infected by that shade, 
we should listen to what they have to say. Mom and dad, when your young kids say something that seems silly, it's not silly, it's prophetic. Don't correct them. Listen to it prayerfully. Daddy, look what I found on the great Easter hunt, she says. And then I realize, as a grown adult, paid to read and study the scriptures and to read and study those who have read and studied the scriptures, I realize God on Easter, unlike Christmas, hides Easter. On Christmas, the presents, we know where they are. Why is it in us that on Christmas we put everything where it's expected to be, but on Easter we hide stuff? What is the the game of hide-and-seek that we play on Easter since we were kids? Why are we hiding goodness only to find it? Because Because found goodness brings joy in ways that offered goodness doesn't. When you stumble on something and find it for yourself and it penetrates your life because you have ownership over searching for it and finding it, it does something better for you than if it was just offered. For a child, their favorite present handed to them is not nearly as exciting as an Easter egg with a Tootsie Roll in it that they found on their own. And I confiscate all of Sophia's Tootsie Rolls. I tell her they're not good for her, and then I get diabetes at the end of every Halloween and Easter. He hides Easter. Here's the answer to the sermon. You can check out after I say this if you'd like to. God hides Easter. Yo, you're a pain, man. My God, I cannot not hear you now. He said, really? God hides Easter so that we could search for it, so that it can find us. I'm going to say that again. God hides Easter. Every day of your life, Easter is hidden for you. It's tucked away someplace in your life so that you can be searching for it, so that it can find you. See, we like to say, I searched for Christ and I found him. No, you searched for Christ and he found you while you were searching for him. Nobody finds Jesus. He came to seek and save the ones who are lost. But he likes us to go on a hunt for him so that he can find us while we're trying to find him. One of the most profound lyrics in the entire music industry comes from the title of Bono's, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And Easter sings that song to us because no one found what they were looking for on Easter. The world we live in doesn't know what to do with Easter. I've been asked this question many times before. Are you offended as a minister that they have commercialized Christmas? And my answer is always this. I'm not offended that they've commercialized Christmas because they don't know what the heck to do with Easter. See, Christmas is Jesus coming to the earth, God coming to the earth saying, do whatever you want to me. Swaddle me, put me in a manger, let me grow, let me become a carpenter, spit on me, rip my beard out, whip me, kill me, press thorns into my head, love me, get touch the hem of my garment, let me heal you, reject me, lie about me, false accusations about me. Christmas is God saying, do whatever you want. I'm so relatable, I'm so present, I'll even let you hurt me. So yes, secular culture does capitalize on Christmas because God wants them to because that speaks to the part of God that is so accessible it's easy to take advantage of. But on Easter, the best they have is a bunny. Think about Christmas. 
and think about the best they can do with Easter. Like, in all of your infinite wisdom, Wall Street, this is the best you have? Because Christmas is God saying, I'm going to be so scandalously real that I'm going to scandalously let you manipulate me. But Easter is God saying, but just so you know, there's still some parts of me you can't see. You still can't see me. And when you put both of them together, you see the full character of Jesus, accessible enough to reach out and touch but mysterious enough to walk through a tomb before anybody even know he rose. To open the tomb just to let you know he's not even there. He hides Easter so that you can search for it on the great Easter hunt so that Easter can find you. And let me tell you, Salem, every one of us is looking for something. And let me say this. Every time something bad happens, it's easy for us to bounce back. But the scariest parts of life are when something good happens to you and it still doesn't quench the thirst of the thing that you're looking for. There's nothing worse than getting what you wanted and still feeling the same sense of lostness. Where do you go from there? When bad things happen, you can imagine a world, all right, this was terrible, so when I get on the other side of this, then it will be great. But when you get onto the other side of it and all the great things you've ever wanted in your life happen, and you still feel that same sense of lostness that you felt over here, where do you go from there? When the best happened and it still doesn't satisfy, we still haven't found what we're looking for. Think about it. When that first blanket of snow hits the ground, especially now with social media, we ruin it because we don't just enjoy it for ourselves. We, want, we think everybody else wants to see the snow at my house. Hold on. Filter. What? Like, okay, so you zoomed in on a cup of coffee that says Jesus saves. The rest of your house is a wreck, but it looks like it's pretty good from that angle. Looks like you really got it together got your Bible out next to it like this. You never read it before. It's just there. Don't even know where Easter is in it. When the first buds of spring begin to explode on the trees, especially after a year of COVID, everybody in a good mood hanging out, still looking for Easter though. Fall comes, my personal, I mean, I don't say my personal, the greatest season of the year that God told me was true. And if you don't agree, you're dead to me. Like, that's just pumpkin patch, apple picking, sweater weather. Say it again. There it is. These are the days we're looking for Easter. And when it's over, we still haven't found what we're looking for. Christmas which technically in my home begins on November 1st. People judge you so bad for this. Either they love you for it or you're like, like, Pastor, I'll never accept foot in here again until you wait till after Thanksgiving. Even during that whole season, we're trying to hold on to it. We're trying to grab at it because we're looking for Easter. I mean, when we critique, when we, when we celebrate each other's best achievements, we're looking for Easter. When we critique each other to try to make ourselves better, we're looking for Easter. When we celebrate things like July 4th and this amazing country we live in, we're looking for Easter. But when we kneel or when we go onto Main Street and march because the country's not living up to what it should be living up to, even then we're looking for Easter. 
Whether we're loving it or critiquing it, whether we're celebrating it or protesting it, whether we're loving each other or critiquing each other, we are looking for Easter and we still haven't found what we're looking for. What were they doing on Easter? They were going to anoint a dead body. They were not looking for Jesus. You don't look for something that you know where it is. Has anybody lost their keys before, just before you left the house, and Satan shows up in your house, and it's everybody else's fault besides yours? I've even gotten mad at the church before because I lost my keys. Pastor making us have another service. Now i got to find where my car keys are on a Wednesday night. Then I became the pastor, and I was like, wait a minute, this is not fair. You should know where your car keys are. We've been in these places. When you know where your car keys are, you don't look for them. You go get them. They knew where Jesus was. He's dead. They lugged spices to him because he was supposed to be there. When they get there, the angel says, why are you seeking the living among the dead? I need you to hear this point. This is absolutely crazy. The angel says, why are you seeking the living among the dead? They weren't seeking the living. They didn't know. So the angel is telling them something about themselves that's better than the version of themselves they thought they knew about themselves. They didn't know they had the kind of faith. They didn't know that Easter faith had already apprehended them. They didn't know that they were walking in a faith subconsciously that's greater than the faith they had consciously. They didn't know that they were seeking the living. They thought they were going to anoint a dead thing. The angel was telling them, you're better than you think you are. And I want you to know that today. There's more in you that is good than you have any idea of. You think the best you can do is just try to decorate something that's already dead in your life. Let's just put some perfume on this marriage. It's going away anyway. Let's just sprinkle something on these kids. They didn't turn out the way I wanted them to. Let's just try to wear some nice clothes and put a pasted smile on my face even though my career hasn't turned out the way I wanted it to. Let's still go shake mom and dad's hands even though I know I've disappointed them. We spend our whole life trying to anoint something dead, not realizing that Easter is hiding behind the corner saying, the thing you think is dead, it's not here anymore the way that you think it is. It's gotten up, it's risen, and it's better than you could possibly imagine. That's what Easter is telling us. As we search, Easter finds us. But Easter only finds people who are willing to go to the tomb. You see, we have what's called liturgies in our life. Liturgy is simply the way you live your life. It's your routine. And I'll say, and everybody knows, it is very good to have organized routines in your life. How many on January 1st this year woke up and said, today is the first day of some new routines? making some revol revolutions, resolutions. I'm going to go to this thing that is set up. There's, there's rubber on it, and it's a big circle, and I'm going to run around it until I get tired. And then they say when you get tired to run around it some more. It's a horrible idea. And then you got like, okay, so I need to lose some weight, so we're going to eat like carrots and bark and whatever else doesn't taste good so that you can eat it and it'll be enjoyable. We set up some new routines. I'm going to stop complaining. I'm going to start getting the kids ready on time. I'm going to start getting to Salem on time. That's for next week. This is the last day I'm going to be nice. Because we have guests. Just be nice to me. Flatter me and I won't be mean, I promise. <laughs> so awful. 
So thank you. <laughs> so I'm so shallow. It's not even funny. I'm like, all right, cool, thanks. You guys can be late. You can be late as late as you want. Thank you. All these routines, it's important to have routines. Why is it important to have routines? Because when you're out of control, you don't know if you're giving time or if it's being taken from you. You don't know if you're giving money or if it's being taken from you. You don't know if you're offering patience or if it's being taken from you. You don't know if you're actually stable or just having a weird, calm moment in the middle of craziness. When you are out of routine, you don't know if you're resting or if you're just being lazy. You can't tell the difference between virtue and vice when you're not in control of your own life. There's something to be said for people who can't stop working. That's out of control. There's something to be said for people who can't start working. That's also out of control. There's something good to be said about the person who has a rhythm of work and rest, work and rest, being able to work even if they finish things, getting ahead, but also being able to rest even if there's things undone. But when you're out of control, you don't know if you're working, resting, or being lazy, or being a workaholic. It's important to have routines. But one of our routines is we liturgize our life. We routine our life in such a way where we avoid ever having to go to the scary places of the tombs in our life. We live in such a way that prevents us from having to fully face what is actually going on. And let me tell you this, COVID and the isolation has not helped. It's given us the chance to avoid more than it's given us the chance to dive into things because we've had no one physically pushing on us, no friends saying, hey, let's get together, you're in a bad place because we haven't been able to. Routines keep us, some of our routines keep us from entering the place in our life. We have tombs in our life that are oozing with such toxicities, but we refuse to go there because we're terrified of what we might find because we're convinced we know what we would find, just like they were convinced they were going to go anoint a dead body. We're convinced we know what we would find. And so we routine our life in a way where we focus only on the part of ourselves that we can use to fool other people, including ourselves. Make it look like our marriage is doing good. Make it look like things are good at home. Make it look like things are good at work. Make it look like things are good financially, even when it's burning down and we're lonely, broke, tired, and don't know what to do about it. But we have this routine that's kept us from it. Let's look at what the two Marys did. The two Marys had a routine. They wanted closure. Closure is a healthy thing. We should want closure when something goes bad. We've had memorial services in this room, too many this year already. We've had memorial services in this room where what we're doing is we're bringing people, we're, we're bringing people to death in a way that preaches the resurrection but also lets them have closure because we need closure when things end. We need closure when relationships end. Friendships, romantic relationships, we need closure when they end. We need closure when life ends for somebody. So Mary and Mary are saying we just lost the most precious person we've ever had. The one who gave life has lost it. And so let's get ointments together. Let's get spices together. Let's go get closure. And as they get to the door of their house, they go to open the door and they realize there's another routine pointing at them that's, that's opposing their routine. Their routine is let's go get closure. But the, the Jewish routine says today's the Sabbath. You're not allowed to leave your house. 
He dies on Friday. On Saturday, they want to go anoint him so they can have closure. And as they get to the door, they realize today's the Sabbath. Our church routine is to stay home. Our secular routine wants to go get closure. But our church routine is telling us to stay home. Have you ever been in a moment, I'm sure, Jeff, you can help me out here, where you're being disciplined and then something terrible happens and then you say, I've been through so much, I don't need to focus on this anymore. I can just indulge myself in something. Yes. Yes. We've had dinner together before after stressful moments. Yes. You ever have that moment where you're like, listen, I, like, it happened to me yesterday. I, I went 39 days of Lent. This is how pathetic I am. I went 39 days of Lent, and yesterday at the great Easter hunt, when I saw that my daughter had walked away from her peeps, that's what made me fail Lent, a peep. This is terrible. Don't clap. <laughs> You're only clapping because you failed Lent on three days after it started probably, and now you feel better. A peep. I was like, well, you know what? I've had the, like, this, this week is long for pastors. This is a long week for pastors. I deserve a peep. And God is like, I can't. I, just, I can't with him. We do that. And so here they are, getting ready to walk through the door of their house, and easily they could say, listen, we follow every single Sabbath the way that we're supposed to. Now, the Romans and the people who are telling us to Sabbath have murdered this guy. You know what? We're going to go, and we're going to anoint this body on Saturday. Let's say they actually said that. What would have happened? They would have gotten to the tomb on Saturday. They probably would have known how to roll away the stone, but let's say they did. They would have rolled away the stone, and they would have put ointment on a dead body, and they would have thought that was the closure they wanted. And sometimes we really think that just dressing up something bad in our life is making it good, and it's not. It's not. But what do they do? They decide to let go of their routine and say, we're going to honor the faith routine. And they don't go to the tomb on Saturday. Even though they're angry at the people who instituted this routine in the first place, they honor it. And you can tell that they want it to go on Saturday and not Sunday because it says, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, the minute that clock hit midnight, they run right there. Now it's not the Sabbath anymore. Technically, we can go. And they get there. And they witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If they followed their routine, they would have anointed a dead body. But because they were willing to have something infiltrate their routine, they get anointed by an alive body. They went to anoint death, and life ended up anointing them. So our first way that Easter finds us is it finds us through our routines but there's a point where you have to have one. And then there's a point where your faith has to bring you to a place outside of your normal, comfortable routine. And it's in that moment, that doorway. I want you to remember this every time you walk through a doorway. Doorways are nothing but metaphorical examples of transition moments in our life. Everything good or everything bad happens right at a transition. 
When you get to those moments where it's hard, where you don't know which routine to grab onto, which voice to listen to, that's where the Holy Spirit wants to bring Easter into your life and say to you, deep down you think you know what you're looking for. But we both know that you're not going to find it when you get there because something greater has happened. Jesus wants you to not find him so that when he finds you, it forever changes your life. But he wants you to look for him, to not find him so that he can find you. Nobody found him. He found them. They searched for him in every one of the Gospels, and nobody found them. He's going to be in Galilee. Or is he? On, in Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus joins two people who are leaving because they're in despair. Their routine had completely failed them, and Jesus finds them on the road. And he says to them, what are you talking about? And they say, you should know. We're talking about this guy, Jesus, who everybody murdered. And we thought he was going to be the one to restore Israel. And Jesus is like, oh, tell me more about this story, please. And he hides himself from them so that they can vent out all of their searching. So at the bottom of their searching, he can reveal himself to them. He lets them say everything. I love this line. This is from a theologian, one of my favorite theologians. It says that Jesus is always on the wrong road away from himself with you. They're walking away from Jerusalem, and Jesus goes on the wrong road. Jesus joins them on the road away from himself. He doesn't yell at them to turn around. You're going the wrong way. He lets them search and search just like the prodigal son's father. Let's the son leave. Let's him get into all this mess knowing that he can only come home when he's done searching and realizes he hasn't found what it is he's looking for. And God is always right there. The minute they say, okay, we didn't know Jesus was here. We're going to go tell people. The minute they turn around, he's right there because he's finding them at the moment when they have fully lost themselves. He's finding them. But we never let Easter find us because we never go to the tomb to begin with. We're too afraid of what we might find there. Here's what you'll find there. Jesus. He'll, you'll look into the tomb and you'll see nothing. You'll turn around and he'll be standing there ready to say your name. But it's only when you get there. What is your worst case scenario? What is the thing your life is trying to avoid the most? Get there. And Easter's going to pop out and find you. Time for a quick funny story. The second way that Easter finds us is through Revelation. It's through Revelation. But revelation only happens when, you're done, when you've searched all you can possibly search. Revelation doesn't come to people who are not searching. Revelation comes to people who are searching, not finding, searching, not finding, searching, not finding. I hope you're seeing a theme here. Please don't live your life thinking that because you're searching and not finding, you're doing something wrong. All that's happening is God is letting you detox from all of the presuppositions you have about him until there's none left so that when you see him, you actually recognize him. Why? Because if you don't get rid of your presuppositions, he'll pop out and you won't think it's him. You have to empty yourself. People walk around, don't be angry at God. Don't lash out at God. Don't curse out God. Let me tell you from a pastor's point of view, you curse him out as much as you need to. You yell at him as much as you need to. Read the Psalms. They're, they're not PG. They're worse. Read the Psalms. Say everything you need to say about Jesus because at the end of your event, that's when he's going to show you his true self. 
If Jesus can say, why have you forsaken me, we could get mad too, yes? It's not, it's not a lack of faith. You have to get mad at him because you get mad at people you care about. You've heard me and my wife argue probably. You're our next door neighbor. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I've heard some things. I've seen you on the roof. Like we, right? <laughs> people, well, me, me and my husband, we just don't fight. Well, that's because you don't care about each other anymore. You stop caring. When somebody matters to you, they matter. When somebody matters to you and they do something good, it excites you. When somebody matters to you and they do something crazy, like say, I don't know, just an example, uh, don't ask me what you can do around the house, you should just know. Why is every, no, there is nothing normal about that statement on God's green earth. One, you all know we can't even if we want it to, so don't set us up for failure. And two, you don't know what you want. That's why you want us to just know, because you don't know. You're trying to find out what you want, hoping we get it right. <laughs> I'm going to stay up on this pulpit for a while because I'm nervous. I'm very nervous. You want to escort me out? Okay. I feel like you'd be on Jacqueline. I need somebody. That doesn't matter. Where were we? Who were we talking about? Ah, yes. But the guards, we just need to talk about the guards for a second. The guards are the ones who when the resurrection takes place and the earth shakes and angels show up, they fall down dead. They don't see anything. And at the end of the story, it says that they went and told the chief priests all that had taken place. You see, guards can see what happens with Christ but never experience the revelation. Well, who are guards? Guards are when we have a way that we do life and we don't spend any more, like once we decide what works for us, we're no longer adventurous. We just guard the thing that works for the rest of our life. If it worked once, it will work always. And so I'm going to forever stand in front of this thing that I love. And I'm not going to spend my life gazing on the beauty of it anymore. I'm going to spend the rest of my life defending myself and guarding myself and guarding it. Because we've gotten used to routine. We've gotten used to God. We don't recognize him anymore when we see him because we're so busy guarding him, we don't even know that it's not him we're guarding anymore. The previous pastor before me, his name was Pastor Mark Arsted. When he left here, he was a rather large guy. He has since lost like 150 pounds. Good for you, Mark. We're all so excited about it. Keep posting more selfies. Our wives aren't starting to say, why don't you do that? <laughs> anyway, anyway, he's in town uh, about a month ago, and so I'm like, hey, let me, let me buy you some coffee at the new tracks on 52. Great. So here's the thing. I, re I know he's smaller than what I remember, but in my mind, he's actually, in my mind, he's bigger than he really is. So I'm standing there, and he texts me and says, I'm here. So I say to the person, can I have what I want, which is like some like caramel mocha latte combo, like really good. And he just likes black coffee because he's boring. And so 
mine is like 18.50 and his is three bucks. So I always pick up the tab whenever it's coffee. And I look behind me and he's standing behind me. So I turn around and I go for the, for the fist bump and I'm like, hey man. And he goes for the handshake. And then we do that weird thing where we don't know what to do with our bodies anymore. We're like, hey, what's going on? Patty cake, baker's man, bake me cake as fast as you can. Roll it. And pat. Like, why are we doing this? What just happened? What just happened? So I'm like, that was so awkward. Here's your coffee. And the person who wasn't Mark said, sir, I'm really glad to see you too, but how do you know me? You can't, I'm good at getting out of these moments. What do you do right there? I don't know what to do with my face. I'm just like, honestly, I thought you were one of my really good friends, but as I say it, how good of a friend are they if I thought you were them? Now I'm stuck. So I'm like, whatever. I said, I'll get whatever, whatever you want. I'll get it for you. And he's like, well, I'm here to get bagels for all my coworkers. I'm like, what do you get it then? I'm not, I'm not trying to get bagels for everybody. I don't know what Diane wants. Like, I'm not trying to. So the whole thing happens, and I get my coffee, and I turn around, and Mark is now staying there. He's like, hey, and I'm like, whatever. Like, we shouldn't even hang out anymore. Like, what happened is that I, something was so normal to me that now with COVID and scarves and face masks, I thought I knew somebody that I know very well. But this very same thing happened when Jesus walked the face of the earth. We looked at him and said, no, no, not you. We're waiting for God. Because there's a point where we are so used to our opinion about something that the thing we think is true isn't anywhere to be found. But we're propping up something that we thought was the truth. And we do this with, we do this with each other. We do this with our life. We do this with our own image of ourselves. Revelation comes, my man is rolling on the floor. Praise the Lord, the Spirit's got him. Ushers, let's get one of them blankets that we put down for people when they go out. Remember back in the day? Like, we don't even have them up here anymore. They used to be everywhere. I'm so lost, like, I am just absolutely so lost. This is Revelation, right? Yes. Thank God for this was a good idea because this gets me back. Revelation is not God telling you something that hasn't existed. Revelation is God, listen, re-showing you something that you've always seen, but he's showing it to you new again. So revelation isn't God's giving you a new this and a new that. Revelation is God letting you see the marriage that you've been in for 30 plus years. He's letting you see it new again. The kids that you thought this relationship is whatever, it's done now, he's going to show it to you new again. And more than those things, you, yourself, the person that you've walked with the longest in life, you need a revelation when you look in the, your own mirror, when you see your own reflection. You need God to reveal what is really there behind you. The real you, because sometimes some of us get used to this overtly good version of ourselves, and we don't recognize anything that's negative. Some of us have just lived so lonely and broken and abused that all we see is the fractured, beat down, bruised up part of ourselves, and we forgot that there is an image of God in there someplace. 
Easter wants to find you, to show you, you again. But Easter finds those who are on the great Easter hunt. Because there's something about looking that makes being found better. And finally, I think third, yes, we're doing good. (laughs) Easter finds us through relationship. Notice, they search for Jesus in all four Gospels and don't find him. And then when the angel says, stop looking for Jesus, go look for the disciples, who bumps into them? He was supposed to be in Galilee, and now he's risen from the dead. His name is? Say it like you mean it. His name is above every name. You can yell it out. It's going to be good. Jesus. They're looking for Jesus, and they don't find him. The angel says he's going to Galilee. Don't look for him. Go tell all these other people in Bethlehem where he is. They go to tell them, and they find Jesus, who's supposed to be in Galilee. When they're looking for Jesus, they don't find him. But listen, when they're looking for each other, that's when they find Jesus. Jesus is never to be found when we individualize and privatize our faith. There is no, I'm going I'm to hurt somebody's feelings, but here's the reality. There is no such thing as God being my personal Lord and Savior. He's not my personal anything. He's our Lord and Savior, and I'm part of the hour that gets to call him Lord and Savior. He doesn't belong to me, I belong to him. When we turn our, yeah, it's okay to clap for that. When we turn our faith into an individualized pursuit, we actually go after Jesus over against each other. You heard it in the, st- in the song that Stephanie sang. He leaves the 99 to go find the... Every time we hear that, we assume the one is an individual person. Don't we? As if out of every hundred people, there's only one bad one. Have you went outside? Have you talked to anybody in your own house? I'm the only good one in my house. I'm really just kidding. I mean, I might as well just say all the things now while it's safe, and then I'm in trouble. The 99 is heaven. Jesus left heaven to go find all of us, the one. Jesus in heaven knows that this place called heaven is so almost complete, but it's missing one thing, us. So he leaves the 99, he leaves the almost perfect and comes here, we're all the one who got away. Bono can sing it all day long and so can we. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But when Jesus finds you, he's the first human who can say, now I finally found what I'm looking for. And it's you. He's the one who can say it. We have to keep searching. He's the one who can look at us and say, you're what I've always been looking for. How do we get to that moment? When we, listen, when we become Easter ourselves and pursue each other. Your calling is to not celebrate Easter, it's to be Easter. You're supposed to leave here and go into a world that is tired and broken and lonely and filled with vice and not judge them or wag your finger in their face, but say hello in a way that's going to take down every guard they have up and make them feel known for the first time. That's who we're supposed to be.
we're supposed to be walking empty tombs, reminding people that they're also walking empty. There is no, these bones that Ezekiel said, shall these bones live? Easter says, these bones can live. And we're called to receive that love ourselves, but then pursue each other. And when we pursue each other, not in, our faith can be personal, but it's never private. It's personal. My walk with God is different than your walk with God. But when Jesus taught us to pray, he never taught me to pray my Father in heaven. He taught us to pray because it's not about just me and it's not about just you. So you really want to meet Jesus? You really want to experience the resurrected Christ? You go find people. And on your way to find them, to tell them the good news, he's going to find you. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Even though we're in this emotional moment, I have to do this. John, come on up. I saved us about eight minutes. If, if, if you're a guest, this is not rude. This is what he does. So I told him I'm just going to keep putting him on blast. John, I hope one day John becomes a king someplace because he's got the walk down. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah, man. <laughs> Yo, let me tell you, all, all the joking, I just want you to know. Have, has anybody ever heard of speaking in tongues before? My man plays in tongues. When he hits those keys, it's not just sounds, it's a prophecy. I'm very glad that he's at the helm of our worship team. You and your wife are good. You're anointed. On the night when our Lord was betrayed, he took bread. He took bread. When he met the disciples on the road to Emmaus, Salem, when he broke bread after the resurrection, when he broke bread, has, maybe some of you have wondered, why do we come to the table every Sunday? Here's why. When Jesus on Resurrection Sunday in the evening met the two disciples who didn't recognize him, when he sat down and broke bread, their eyes were open and they knew that it was Jesus. When he broke bread, not when he preached, not when he proclaimed the gospel, not when he touched the, the small of their back and said, I'm here for you, it was when he broke bread. And the minute they recognized him, what did he do? He disappeared. But watch what he did. He took bread, and then he put it on the table, and then he disappeared. So what's left? Christ at the table became Christ on the table. And he said, now keep coming to this table. Not just to remember the night that I died, but to remember that I am most revealed in the breaking of bread, which includes human fellowship and interaction. Have you ever said to somebody, come over to my house, let's break bread? He is most revealed in the moment when we break this bread on Sundays and then break bread in our home or on Zoom. I don't care. However we have to do it, we need to fight to do it, period. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. And after he had given thanks, not after he made accusations, 
Not after he made judgments, after he gave thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat it, eat it in remembrance of me. And after supper, our Lord took wine. And after he had given thanks, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you drink this wine, drink it in remembrance of me. This is where Easter finds us first every Sunday. This is why you don't fast on Sundays. This is why Sunday is only ever a feast day, because every Sunday we celebrate Easter Sunday. Every Sunday we break bread and remember Good Friday. Every Sunday we eat that bread and remember, but it was broken for me. This is Easter part one every week so that we can leave and be Easter part two for everybody else. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you sanctify this bread and sanctify this cup in the hands of every single person in this room that this meal, as simple and silly as it looks, would become for us the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. Thank you for turning silly things into your presence because now I know that I could be your presence for somebody this week. As broken and spilled as my life is, Father God, yet you call me to preach, yet you call me to pastor, yet you call me to minister, even though my life looks like spilled juice and broken fragments of bread. I pray that you would let everyone here know that as broken and spilled as they feel, you will always absorb that mess, turn it into your presence, and then offer yourself for the life of the world through our lives this week. I pray that Salem would know that we are your body and that this week we should live toward people and say, this is my life offered to you. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Would you partake with me this morning? Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.